0: Hello and welcome to Newsnight. I am Ladi Akkiridulwale. Thanks for joining us today. According to the World Health Organization, the WHO, more than 50,000 cases of monkeypox have been reported in the year 2022 worldwide as of September the 5th. In Nigeria, numbers are slowly but surely rising. And this is in addition to the continuing situation with Lassa fever, cholera, yellow fever, meningitis and others which combine to pose serious health risks and record fatalities among the population. Control and treatment protocols are hampered by the twin challenges of insecurity and tough economic conditions that most citizens are going through at the moment. So how are the authorities coping with this? And what's the status report on awareness creation and vaccination programs? Newsnight talks to the Director General of the Nigeria Center for Disease Control, the NCDC, Dr. Ifedayo Adetifa. Dr. Adetifa, thank you for your time. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, uh, some, some would, some would some describe it as uh, a resurgence. resurgence. Others would say it's a comeback of sorts. Um, uh, but we are, we are having rising cases of particular, of particular types of diseases, uh, uh, and I want us to take them perhaps one by one. Um, um, the one. The one that scared people the most, more recently, was monkeypox. And, uh, but then we've since learned that perhaps the scare was based on not altogether accurate information. Now I have you here, what exactly is the position with the country today in terms of monkeypox? Okay,
1: Okay, thank you. It's a good question. Um, I'll just back up a bit. So, um, COVID-19, monkeypox, Lassa fever, yellow fever, um, well, Ebola, Marburg, and all of this, these are all conditions that we call zoonotic diseases. They are caused primarily by pathogens that affect animals. And at some point in time, they cross what we describe as the animal-human interface and uh, then become adapted to um, transmission from human to human and cause, become established as a cause of human disease. Now, the pro- projections or the predictions uh, globally is that we will be at increasing risk of diseases um, that are caused by zoonotic pathogens. And um, the reasons are not far-fetched. It's uh, mostly due to human activity, the urbanisation, encroachment on natural habitats of uh, 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 the the animals, climate change, uh, and the the other consequences of our activities in the environment. So as we, uh, you know, uh, go around uh, not taking enough care, of the environment that we coexisting with the animals, um, we are then coming in closer contact with animals and therefore pathogens that primarily cause disease in them are going to frequently spill over um, into humans. And because they are often pathogens that we've not encountered before, like SARS-CoV-2, right. um, then they have the potential of basically causing epidemics or what they are epidemic-prone conditions because they can really um, um, cause a large outbreak very quickly. So, the situation with monkeypox is, um, as you may recall, Nigeria reported its first human case of monkeypox just one year after it was first reported in, in the DRC in 1970. And then we had a few cases here and there up till about 1977, 1978. And then for 40 years, monkeypox dis- dis- disappeared from our view only to sort of reimagine 2017. So what has happened is that since 2017, we've had um, uh, every year detected cases of monkeypox. And we've always recognised that we were probably under-detecting um, the cases of monkeypox. And um, the reemergence of monkeypox uh, drove the NCDC back then uh, to achieve a few things because it was one of the um, very first um, stimulus to set up digital surveillance system so that you can see things in real time. If you're depending on paper that is collated in community, local governments finally makes it to a state capital maybe one or two months after, you will be seeing patterns that are already outdated. The events have already overtaken. overtaken. Okay, so this led to sort of the rollout of our um, surveillance outbreak, um, response management and analysis system, which is now deployed countrywide and in every local government. And in fact, the area of growth for us as the NCDC for surveillance is to deploy that to all of the health facilities, just so we have, you know, more, better coverage. Okay, so uh, in 2017, we didn't have diagnostic capacity for monkeypox. Indeed, we did not have diagnostic capacity, probably for monkeypox from 1978 to, and maybe that also may have contributed to not detecting any cases um, the, however few they would have, they would been, have been here. So, we depended on partners and external uh, bodies to help with diagnosis of monkeypox in 2017, 18, and the like. But that also drove us to establish national capacity for diagnosis of monkeypox, and of course, subsequently, sequencing capacity for monkeypox, just to be able to look at the genetic makeup of the virus and hopefully pick up if there are any changes. So the situation with monkeypox uh, at the moment is. Uh, We declared, um, we activated our emergency operations center about the end, last week of May, actually before the international outbreak uh, started because we, we, as I say, Nigeria has been responding to monkeypox for a while. Um, and we had made some investments in surveillance. You know, we'd made an effort to go to some zero reporting states because zero reporting does not mean that, that there's there no are cases. no cases. Yes, and, 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 and just to beef up surveillance. So we were already seeing an increase in the number of suspected cases being um, sent to, samples from suspected cases being sent to the National Reference Lab in Abuja for confirmatory diagnosis uh, before... Um, the, the, the global or international outbreak started. We, so we believe that uh, we also are now seen, we have seen a record number of monkeypox cases this year compared to, um, I think, 2017, which was a, uh, we had just under 90 cases in total. We've, I think at the end of um, July um, 31st, we, we had more uh, 157 cases already um, this year, and we've had four deaths, unfortunately. Uh, uh, building on the previous experience from uh, previous outbreaks, uh, we know that the clinical pictures that appears to be the same. We have high-risk groups that uh, are sort of overrepresented in the deaths, uh, people who have immunosuppression for one reason or the other, whether it's by organ transplant or by treatment. Uh, And now what we, I think we've seen for the last two is, uh, you know, there are few people who appear to have both chickenpox and monkeypox at the same time, and you know, both conditions actually look alike. Not like, yeah. um, and, but it sort of uh, may be an additional risk factor for very severe disease, uh, which is probably not surprising if given um, that you have two viruses that are going toe to toe with your immune system and, and the like. So, that's the um, situation of monkeypox is that we the increased attention is due to what's going on outside the country. We've always paid attention to monkeypox, regardless of whether it's made the headlines, especially in
0: the Western media or not. I also happen to know that um, there are several well, strains of, of monkeypox. Uh, I remember speaking to There's Professor Abayomi, who talked about the West, West African strain, and then uh, a more virulent strain, which is somewhere in East Africa, uh, uh, the DRC, which you mentioned, uh, probably Central Africa, uh, to be precise. Uh, And I'm happy you mentioned that it appears that even though with this resurgence, we're still seeing the strain that is the less virulent one. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, Okay. now, I also know that I've been told that there is really no treatment for it. It's a question of managing the patient uh, until the body is able to fight back and get right. Again, correct?
1: Uh, Monkeypox, really, um, most times, is really a self-limiting illness. You know and I'm sure you and I know lots of people uh, who have had chicken pox as adults and usually it's just you know we, you unless you maybe you work in the hospital or you've got some knowledge you probably won't know that uh, uh, chicken pox actually is more likely to give uh, have a complicated complicated cause in adults than the minor illness it tends to cause in children okay so it's perceived as a low Risk self-limiting illness, which we know is part of probably why it is also being underreported. Um, but there is at least one licensed treatment. We just don't have access to that licensed treatment. It, okay. Yes, there is an antiviral called tecoviramat which um, is has some depending on which country or which continent you are either has full registration or partial licensing for use in both smallpox and, chicken, and uh, monkeypox.
0: Perhaps we, we should be working towards getting uh, that kind of treatment in Nigeria, although issues like cost and so on would then become...
1: We are, we are looking into it. We have approached uh, uh, partners to try and see if we can access, and we are also trying to look at direct uh, um, purchase, um, you know, and, of course, expecting to, to see really huge costs associated um, with that, especially when you're not likely to buy at volume, in which case, but um, it's important, you know, no matter how few the cases may be, um, that for this small group of people that are at very high risk of you know, hospitalization or even death, that we hopefully have some countermeasure that they can have access to, um, so that we're just not um, providing only supportive management.
0: Now, you, now mentioned you mentioned it in your answer when you said you wanted to back up a bit and take a look at the status. You mentioned, you mentioned Marburg. Uh, um, of course, as at this interview, interview I've not I've I've had any information of its discovery or anybody it with it in, in Nigeria. But then a few eyebrows, eyebrows were raised like when Ghana, Ghana uh, detected a couple of cases uh, and uh, even more cases uh, subsequently. Uh, what, what, what do we know about Marburg? Uh, what are we doing? uh in terms of surveillance to ensure that perhaps if we don't have it in country already we can perhaps prevent it from coming in
1: the virus primarily affects uh, a a species of fruit bats you know and again when bats come when these bats come really close to human habitats and contaminate your environment or your food sources and all of that then um, or you you come in contact with uh, body fluids and, and other things from the birds, then you are at risk of um, the disease. So um, the, it's the only other fa- member of the family of viruses, um, uh, of the family that Ebola virus belongs to. So um, shares many of the same characteristics as the Ebola virus. or so in fact, for those characteristics that are not well known, they are in fact based on what we know of the Ebola um, virus. Um, what uh, people may not know is uh, because Marburg is on the list of sort of uh, epidemic-prone diseases that everybody watches out for, every year we actually buy a set of test kits for Marburg just in case, and we keep that because it's easier to to buy the kits uh, to an extent they may expire and all of that, than for us to have a suspected cases and then you're trying to explain to Nigerians why you don't have um, we always retain capacity to test for Marburg, both at our lab um, in 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 Gadua, and actually at um, the the lab in Luth um, as well, that is run by Professor Milabu, who you probably know um, as well. And we work together to um, look after some of these less common uh, pathogens. At the NCDC, we've got um, something called an Emerging Viral Hemorrhagic Diseases Technical Working Group, so. Um, they are the ones who keep an eye on what's going on with all the emerging pathogens uh, or less common viral hemorrhagic pathogens. So, you, if you have a situation with Ebola or you have a situation potentially with Marburg or any of the other conditions, they um, are scanning the horizon, paying attention, have guidelines, have regular meetings to prepare yeah. for um, and, and recommend measures that may need to be put in place as part of preparedness to deal with these issues today. Arise, and they they did that. Um, I think it was two years ago when there was Marburg in Guinea, um, and of course the same thing um, in in Ghana. We had a risk assessment. Um, our risk was put at moderate. We sort of activated a few things, port health, our colleagues in port health, and sent out advisories and the like. But you know, thankfully, so far we haven't had a Marburg, and our colleagues in Ghana also appear to be on top of. Uh, the situation as well so that's fingers crossed but eyes peeled
0: Peels, yes, indeed eyes peeled. Uh, uh now uh, the big one uh and i say big not necessarily because uh there is scientific evidence to prove that it is the big one but because of the publicity and the impact it has generated and i'm talking about COVID-19 uh many people who heard you when you said SARS-CoV-2 May not immediately know that you, also, you were referring to uh, uh, COVID 19. Uh, uh, we we had, had all the drama, drama, drama and everything about it, death the deaths worldwide, worldwide and all the all lockdowns, lockdowns and so, so on. on. Yeah. And, uh, and then after some time, when vaccines came, there was almost a collective sigh of relief. Um, but it does seem as if we probably heaved the sigh of relief mm-hmm. prematurely because, because in, in some places, places particularly, particularly in the areas where it emanated from it seems to have made a resurgence I'm talking about China China is still locking down certain places because they have a zero COVID policy uh, a number of other places Europe America and so on are still having resurgences uh, but they seem to have tended to try to adapt it as part of daily living now um we I don't know where we fall whether we are still trying to prevent it, or we're also trying to make it part of living. Why, Why I ask that question is that the NCDC is keeping up with its surveillance. It has figures. But I also know that there have been complaints that it is not receiving updates from many states. They stopped testing. So the figures they have are not necessarily representative of perhaps what is happening. Uh, how, does that, how does that come across to you, I mean, being in charge of NCDC? Is it frustrating, perhaps? Well, it's, it's not,
1: started. we, again, we recognize the feelings of uh, fellow citizens. And, of course, as ordinary people ourselves, we, we share um, in some of those, including the fatigue and, and all of that. And, you know, believe it or not, I'm the Director General. I've got the knowledge in my head about what should be done. But, yeah, I find myself sometimes still trying to make assessments about, do I whip out my mask or do I, you know, or actually maybe just a minute to be fine. Or something so we, we understand that but just um, as you've uh, alluded to we have been reminding people that uh, the game is not by any means over this is uh, we, we've the world is made tremendous progress in on trying to understand this bug, developing vaccines and therapeutics in a really, relatively short time despite the in, uh, inequity in the distribution and all of that and and uh, bringing um, the uh, condition under control sort of. In fact, they, w- we might be focusing on the um, resurgence or not, but I think one of the really great achievements uh, uh, is the, what's basically the disconnection now between cases, hospitalization and deaths. Okay, and this is what has allowed people in other places, especially with more resilient health systems, with uh, uh, you know, significant capacity for providing critical or intensive care, to uh, basically journey back to um, the new normal. Okay? But we don't know everything about the pathogen. It, as when we came across it in 2019, it was brand new. We, had, we knew some other members of the family, but it was brand new, which is why it wrecks that much havoc. When you introduce a new pathogen, into human population that our immune systems has never seen before. This is exactly what you get, um, especially for a respiratory pathogen. So, uh, what has happened is uh, the, the pathogen is still sort of having progeny, or babies. Yeah, that that's uh, the mutation uh, yeah, the, the, the yeah, the, the the variants, the you know or lineages and sublineages, as we call them, uh, an Omicron, which is dominated worldwide since about I don't know November last year or something. Is having babies that uh, you know seem to have a bit more ability to evade even the protective immunity that we already have and transmit, and this is by, what by way of
0: vaccination. yeah
1: by vaccination and even natural infection, and this is what's contributed to the uptick in cases in uh, that has been seen in many countries, including here, and even those lineages of Omicron we have seen here as well, and uh, we are sure is contributing to. Um, the the optic we are seeing in cases but thankfully either by a combination of vaccination and natural immunity we're not getting the kind of hospitalizations for example that we had with the delta wave that was really nasty you know or even with the first wave Um, the treatment and isolation centers are not full you know people who who make it there are mostly being discharged we've added Sadly, you know, uh, two more deaths, but that's 100% to the families that uh, those those people that's come well from affected. Um, are affected, and we've not again had as much disruption to life because people are falling ill, or um, as we had uh, with with previous waves. But it's a reminder that as long as we continue to have transmission, either because we're not um, we're, we're not achieving the vaccination coverage we need, and people are completely ignoring. Public health safety measures that are recommended. Variants that may cause us trouble still have a chance of emerging because the risk of uh, variants emerging is related to the extent to which the virus transmits freely in the population. Okay, so that 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 really is what we need to keep an eye of on, even as we try to return to our normal lives. And this is why uh, at the NCDC, our goal, uh, to touch on what you asked, was to. We needed to keep up testing because without testing, you don't know what's going on and you don't get samples to do your sequencing to see what variants are, are around. Okay, So we needed to keep up testing numbers um, and uh, we've, we've tried a few things. We've, we've tried um, surge testing in a few states that um, over the period brings back test numbers up. So some of that's also contributed to the increase in cases that we have seen because we, they, we are and um, working with partners in a few states who are doing a bit of such testing and decentralising testing through the use of antigen, rapid diagnostic tests for, for COVID. Um, we are, of course, keeping up with sequencing just to... Um, and the, uh, the, the 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 final pillar there is, of course, um, aligned with our sister agency, the MPHCD, we're encouraging people to get vaccinated. And, and that's really what we need to do to... Uh, um, keep on top of this and hope that the virus then evolves, hopefully to become something like the flu. But everybody says something like the flu, but the point is the flu still kills people. I mean, the high-risk populations need to be looked after. So if you're, as we know, uh, age is probably the, one of the biggest risk factors. So if you're 60 and above, uh, but if you're, even if you're not 60, above if you have any of the comorbidities, you're hypertensive or diabetic or, you know, you, cancer treatment or other immunosuppressive therapy, then you're basically playing uh, gambling. Each time you expose, you put yourself in, at risk because you do not know which infection is going to run a really wild course in you, take you to a hospital, put you on oxygen and, and the like. So that's the scenario.
0: You referenced it at the start when you talked about some of the things that we've been dealing with even before these very famous uh, things started happening, the likes of cholera, Lassa fever, in particular, yellow fever, meningitis. So again, one by one. Um, I, if, 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 if I want to start with Lassa fever, uh, Lassa fever has killed quite a lot of people um, domestically, but it doesn't seem to be getting the kind of attention that COVID got. And so, on. so I, I, I want to ask, in terms of your monitoring, the surveillance, and all of that, what exactly is happening in that? Because at a point, people thought, oh, it was limited to a particular geographical area, and then. Subsequently, we then discovered that there were cases in several other areas where previously uh, the historical records didn't suggest that there ought to be, but there were. So it, is it that it is spreading? And if so, what is perhaps uh, causing this?
1: Well, um, remember what I said about monkeypox and uh, um, and, and that zero reporting is not uh, uh, the absence of cases. So what has happened with Lhasa fever is that we've... Uh, you know, we're beginning to see the well, fruits, uh, for want of a better description, of efforts to intensify surveillance, uh, um, the fruits of expanding the number of labs that, that can actually test for Lassa fever. And the first step to um, naming something or identifying something is being able to diagnose it. Okay, So we've got more labs on the network and are still working to add more labs to the network to bring um, Lassa fever testing closer to people, uh, which means that when people... It then becomes easier when you see... Um, These cases that all oh, either look like regular malaria or something, you can have a sample tested quickly. That might actually help you um, confirm, oh, in this case it's not malaria, it's Lassa fever or something else. But beyond that, um, they, we do not think that there's been any real change in the nature of Lassa fever uh, itself. Uh, but it's also possible, again, we're talking about it's a zoonosis. We are burning bushes, uh, building houses everywhere and all of that. The rats will come into your house to find food. And the rats that uh, naturally, uh, that are the natural habitat for this virus come into your house. So if you leave your food outside, contaminate them, and then you take them, eat them, and um, then you, you are at risk of coming down with disease. It. Interesting thing to note is that the cases we see that are sort of ill come to a hospital, actually a fra- just a fraction of, of people who, who actually get mm-hmm. Lassa fever, because, you know, the. Um, thankfully, you know, uh, 8 out of 10 people who catch Lassa fever would have just any other febrile illness. It's the guys who actually, the uh, 20% who develop the severe form or the hemorrhagic uh, that, end, that end up in, in hospital and are at the highest risk of, of dying uh, and the like. Um, Lassa fever, from our perspective, and when I speak to all of the hospitals and colleagues in, in the networks that look after Lassa fever, we recognise that we are in need of desperate need to have some positive disruption in the Lassa fever space in terms of you know uh, new or better therapeutics and hopefully a vaccine. And there's work going on in the background to try and first of all fully understand the disease epidemiologically, understand the cumulative exposure to the population because we have seen preliminary data suggest actually a lot more people. In Nigeria, may have seen the virus and developed antibodies compared to the number of actual cases that we are seeing. And uh, you need all these bits of data to try and figure out, um, you know, your vaccine development and what the strategy for use of that, especially for a disease as you say, is neglected by everyone else and is considered probably just our problem. So you go and um, look after it. Another area that needs positive disruptions. You have, I've mentioned the rats. That, you know, at the moment there is no or does not appear to be any sort of proper evidence suggesting what's the best way of um, tackling control of this disease by dealing with the animal reservoir. So what's the best way of getting rid of the rat or of uh, you know exterminating or or doing something? Uh, obviously, the simple measures by such as making sure that you keep all your food and things in closed containers and all of that. I try and, Rat proof your house and clean, keep your environment clean because obviously rats are attracted by deaths and all of that. They work, but we need a bit more to go a bit further um, to find um, some evidence. Um, driven intervention that also helps us to look at the rat. It's usually good to approach disease control from many perspectives and then you get a synergistic um, effect that uh, gives you more impact than maybe if you just go on. And, and as I said, it's a zoonotic illness. It's in animals. We and the animals share the environment. So we also have to adopt what is called a One Health approach to disease co- prevention and control, which means that you just don't focus on what happens in humans you have to keep an eye on what's happening in the animals and also look after um, what's going on in your environment because if you look after the environment it actually protects us and the animals as well
0: now moving away from these uh perhaps uh shall we say broadly zoonotic based uh, uh, and that would now come to some of our more familiar suspects uh cholera uh, meningitis yellow fever uh, uh something i was reading a, a little bit earlier uh will suggest that uh, uh, about 160 million Nigerians, that's a report uh, released uh, by uh, a study group in the WHO, says that 160 million uh, 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 Nigerians are at risk of yellow fever. Uh, and that, that is about 25 to 30% of the world total. Um, because we're in sub-Saharan Africa, that shouldn't, meet, that shouldn't come as a complete surprise. But then um, yellow fever is something that we have been dealing with for so long, and, Sometimes people get to say things, I don't know if that's true, you can correct that. If, if it's wrong, people say that yellow fever, well, Nigeria has dealt with yellow fever. We don't have that anymore. So where does this information about risk? Some countries still require Nigerians to carry yellow fever vaccination cards in order to gain entry. So are we really at risk? Uh, and if so, why?
1: Uh, we are at risk. Yellow fever is also uh, uh, a zoonotic illness, unfortunately. It's just that uh, the world has almost forgotten about yellow fever uh, uh, except for what goes on in places in Nigeria. Now, because there's uh, an effective vaccine that, uh, you know, most times, nine and a half or 9.9 9 out of 10 times, a single shot will give you protection for the rest of your life. I mean, if you remember, for the purposes of managing... Uh, travel of people from yellow fever endemic countries. We were required to take yellow fever shots every 10 years, so you renew your yeah, your, car, your your card. Yeah. I mean, I, I still have a card that probably has about two shots or, or three shots there, which is 30 years worth of and really frayed and all of that. But, you know, in 2013, it became clear, and WHO changed that recommendation to that no, if you've received one shot, you're actually good for the rest yeah. of your life, uh, and that stuff. But so the challenge with yellow fever is um, in our context is vaccination coverage is poor and it, it the vaccination coverage issue is not just a yellow fever issue it's actually a problem or a challenge we have for all vaccine preventable diseases we've had um his, we've had historical challenges with vaccination coverage uh, we've had our sister agency the mpcda working hard to in more recent times to actually uh, bring about gains and just as um, the country seem to be gaining some momentum um, with um, concurrent efforts to strengthen routine immunization and then conduct mass campaigns in response to the areas that we know are undercovered. COVID. And of course, with COVID, uh, all of the issues at that time, health lockdown, movement restrictions, people were afraid of going to hospital. You couldn't convince any. Parents to take their child to a hospital because that is where you are more likely to, to get COVID um, and the like. Um, so there were disruptions to immunization, both routine and planned campaigns. Um, the world tried to recover to sort of say, look, essential services should return, but we know that the journey to doing that has been really hard. And, yeah, and now what we are seeing is we are now paying the price for the gaps that occurred there, so you're, you're, the yellow fever cases coming up, uh, but you are even talking about yellow fever cases. We have a problem with measles at the moment. They they go in tandem because the the vaccine um, for both diseases actually delivered about the same age. So if it's if you've missed one, you're likely so not. The other yeah, you're one, likely to you have know. missed the other one, and so it means you have these susceptibles that are entering the population. And if you're not vaccinated as a child, as an infant, or as a child, you remain a susceptible adult as well. So you you're likely to so to to. Really, this is really dangerous. Oh yes, yes, well. it is.
0: In, the, in, in that situation, okay. Then let, let, I mean, let's let's talk about measles. I mean, since I mean you brought it up, let's talk about measles because when people hear uh, yellow fever. I told you what many people tell me, uh, and then, then they hear measles and they say, "Ah, we still be talking about measles because I mean, at, at four or five or even younger, you're supposed to have taken your measles shot. In some country in, in some other uh, jurisdictions, in fact, it's compulsory. You don't get access to school or anything like that, except you can produce evidence that you've already collected all these shots. But it does appear as if our own situation is different, which is why we are seeing the results we are seeing." Uh, um, probably giving people like you, uh, I don't want to call it a, a, an unnecessary job, but, but def- definitely a harder time than you probably would have. And a lot of this is actually also happening in semi-rural and rural areas. How much of an additional burden does that give you? Uh, I mean, if we take, for example, what, what you explained now, measles, uh, this yellow fever, uh, you've got cholera, and sometimes you've got meningitis, sometimes this just explodes onto the scene and, and you know, many of the agencies and authorities find themselves scrambling?
1: We're, well, the thing is we're often not scrambling. Um, you know, we're not saying that uh, we're perfect and doing everything that we need to do. There's, uh, there's a lot of growth, um, even in things where we might be doing or punching above our weight, like every human endeavor, there's room for, for improvement. But uh, I think the point I'm trying to make is that uh, what we are keeping an eye on and what we're looking after as the NCDC is not what the headlines reflect. So the fact that, yes, everybody's talking about monkeypox, uh, talking about um, uh, COVID uptick now, does not reflect our priorities. We have to look after everything that turns up. So yes, we are already seeing cholera. We have been seeing cholera for, for a few months now. and We're expecting uh, an uptick as the rains become established. Uh, and and of that ahead of uh, November we're already preparing for meningitis and preparing again for the next Lassa fever season unfortunately Um, and then we're also keeping an eye on okay if all mitigated transmission is going on we're going to have all this u tight travel are we going to have another Another uptick in COVID cases again like we had with Omicron and Omicron basically arrived with the end of the year in 2021 so uh, as I said, it's uh, uh, very um, we we are fighting wars on many fronts. Yeah. So yes, we 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 tend to always be spread out a little thin. Uh, we we. But the important thing also is that I mean it's not just us. It's that we depend a lot on the states who are basically the front lines. Uh, all of our front lines Sometimes
0: too. I don't want to use the word abandon, but it seems as if. Uh, they don't take this very seriously Um, i i know that uh, from the from the information i have about uh, 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 the ncdc's mode of operation and gathering information unexpected uh, that every state has a state epidemiologist who is running an office through which information is supposed to come from the states up uh, to ncdc headquarters Uh, but they have difficulties uh, uh, as I found out during in the course of COVID uh, they have difficulties with even accessing this information being able to uh, get the state authorities to understand that you not taking this seriously or you not participating in this is not a problem just for you it may be a national problem as indeed some of these things, some of the outbreaks you referenced, became uh, the rate of spread, a lot of people move around the country, uh, uh, both uh, in formal and in informal ways. So again, it brings me back to the issue of, how much support are you getting for surveillance at the states? The NCDC is in Abuja, as you said. Uh, No matter how many you are in NCDC, you probably cannot cover the country Completely, So you'll be reliant on other sub-nationals to do that and then feed you. How much support are you getting? Because from sometimes the headlines are such that um, the states don't seem to take that as priority. Um, I, I think that may be
1: um, somewhat incorrect. But, um, you know, we depend, of course, work closely with the state. And as you know, health is within the jurisdiction, jurisdiction of states. Um, and histor- and I think what's just happened is uh, basically the challenges we've had nationally. You uh, just multiply them by thirty-seven states. There's historical um, gaps in investment, in emergency preparedness and response, and um, again, some of it driven by sort of a suboptimal understanding of the importance to which uh, uh, to, to place on these items, and of course, then allocate resources. So the first thing is, you know, many states. Or oh, actually, until recently, most states have no budget lines for emergency response uh, and all of that. Uh, and and if you think about it, uh, yes, the NCDC relatively new, but even the federal government had to mobilize resources itself at the beginning of COVID. We, um, you know. Uh, the, we're thankful that it happened, but you know, even while that was being done, of course, we had all of the society contribution. So, private sector stepped in and uh, filled in the gap for a while, and government got moving. Of course, it's bigger and richer than everybody else, so also putting resources. Um, and then, thankfully, already had an agency, slightly primed by other um, outbreaks that have happened, and that uh, they have uh, already given a legal mandate to to be the arrowhead of uh, such national responses so So, that was good good. Uh, and And the the ncdc NCDC, at least at national level i think continues to get um, compared to of your previous years record investments for which we'll continue to be grateful uh, because what COVID did i think is make everybody now understand that look health security is not just a health issue it can be a matter of livelihoods and economy and you just need. Um, to keep an eye on things. And so this is an area of priority, both for the Federal Ministry of Health and um, the, the NCDC. Um, and what's happening now, to varying extents, is that the states are playing catch up as well. But obviously, in that journey, they are at different stages. So you have a very vibrant Lagos state, for example, which, um, you know, um, demonstrable um, efficiency in sort of the public-private partnerships partnerships that are leveraged for health and even for pandemic response. Uh, But you also have states states now, again, like Lagos, like Kano and Co, that have budget lines for emergency response now. Um, The other thing is that, yes, you have state epidemiologists, but we are thinking about state epidemiologists only from the context of of, of emergencies, but that's not what they they actually look after every aspect of public health. So even non-communicable diseases You know, other things in in society are the purview of their office. But again, if you look across states, the the staff numbers, the capacity, the resources provided to those offices vary. Okay, everybody's in a different phase. And what we have been doing is recognizing that we would only be as strong as our subnational units. Strengthening subnational coordination and support is actually an important strategy for us now, so much so that we created an entirely new department of sub-national support to bring our activities closer to the state, to uh, feed into our strategy to have regional labs and centres, again, so that everything doesn't happen from Abuja or when states need support. At least we're in the region. We won't be in every state, but we're in the region and you have a reference lab, hopefully, when everything comes on stream, even in the region that can do some quick things without us ne- necessarily sending everything back to uh, back to Abuja
0: you came to Lagos um, to open something um, and uh, ensure that is that ser- that service is not only in Abuja uh, it's spread to Lagos uh, and I so su- I suspect that you're encouraged by what you've just said now uh, uh by the fact that Lagos uh, does seem to be rising up to the occasion in terms of its response and so on uh, but this will still be run by the nctc uh it's just that it's spreading the facility in such a way that more people can access it we don't all have to go to abuja to be able to access it because before now it was available almost exclusively in abuja Uh, is that part of the drive towards i don't i don't know if i should use the word decentralized Uh, what is happening in terms of access to diagnostics, uh, being able to ensure that people can immediately be told what exactly is going on and what is, if anything, wrong, and therefore uh, the response time is a lot quicker.
1: Uh, Yes, they're They're all related. So what we um, had was the commissioning of a biorepository in our National Reference Lab campus at the Central Central Public Health Labs in in Yabak. Um, we in, in in Abuja, we've got what is probably the largest biorepository in West Africa, and we recognise that there's a need um, to expand capacity um, to also, one, have a backup, so that you don't have all your eggs in one basket, and also uh, be have additional um, capacity. What biorepositories allow you to do is uh, you biobank specimens anything, pathogens, and, and the like. Uh, uh, and what you're able to do is that that collection of clinical, microbiological, immunological, order data um, is useful for uh, surveillance purposes, for clinical purposes, for research purposes. Okay? To be um, able to conduct genomic surveillance, for example, you need to receive specimens, you need to identify the specimens, you need to be able to store them, retrieve them, and sequence them. Okay, so that, for example, contributes towards surveillance. If you had nowhere to keep samples or only temporary refrigerators or freezers, then you're going to run out of space very quickly. Uh, It's also directly connected to quality. You need to um, periodically conduct proficiency testing for your staff, both on internal and what we call external panels, um, which are basically known samples. Um, and you can only have collections of known samples if you had been storing known negatives, known positives and all that. You can retrieve uh, as a random sample and then use in quality panels and all of that. But again, a lot of the things, uh, one of the big things that came out of COVID pandemic is, oh, you should develop your own vaccines. Why are you always buying diagnostics and all of that? So in the whole research and development space or innovation space where you are, either trying to find new diagnostics, new treatments or all of that. You need this range of specimens. And the only way you can um, um, get them is if you had previously been storing them. You don't want to wait till, oh, I potentially have something for Lassa fever, and then you have to wait till maybe November or to, to begin to look for suspected cases. And of course, you know not every suspected case will have. So it's a real, that will be a more laborious, stressful uh, way to go. So repositories are key, again, to support research, to support um, clinical uh, and vaccine, therapeutic vaccine development and the like. And we are glad um, that we have that ability or that capacity in Lagos. Our lab um, in Lagos, as a campus of uh, the lab in Abuja, um, is supposed to mirror our capabilities in Abuja um, and here with the purpose of bringing what we do at least to the southern part of the country. Uh, we, we aspire to even decentralize more to regional labs, which would be a separate one for the southwest, a separate one, for example, for the south, 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 and south, southeast, but they can then all operate as a hub around the Lagos. Campus of the National Reference Lab and the, uh, Abuja one can also do the same thing for reference labs that will um, come on stream in the Northwest, North East, um, and North Central. So that, that is the aspiration.
0: The one thing that seems to have been highlighted by COVID, for example, uh, amongst other uh, um, challenges that the health sector has faced, is the importance of I don't know whether I don't know which is more precise now, to call it community or public health, or perhaps community and public health. Uh, because very often, these outbreaks uh, happen outside the immediate vicinity of the uh, agencies and so on. They don't happen in the Cosmopolitan or Band Centers, Abuja, Lagos, Botancourt, Kano, and so on. You've got to move further afield, uh, which is where they break. And then they gradually now come towards uh the center either by virtue of movement of or people or or, or or other means i wonder how important you think it is now that perhaps maybe there's a if 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 one can dare to use that phrase a lull uh, how important it is to follow up with community and public health at this point and not have to wait both in terms of infrastructure and in terms of awareness probably more importantly awareness uh, of those populations, about how important it is. We've talked about vaccination. To get vaccination, keep environments clean. Report suspected cases to their, you know, the nearest uh, health facilities there, and for them to be able to find such facilities if they are willing to pursue this.
1: An area of growth is what I would say, um, and it's not just uh, where you talk about public health. Um, it, it's not just uh, uh, health security. Issue and indeed, um, a functioning health system, a resilient health system uh, that can deal with these shocks uh, is actually bedrock of health security. And where that starts from is primary health care uh, and indeed um, the aspirations for universal health coverage. So, um, as a sort of one who works in the health security space, we're actually quite delighted with the uh, Federal Ministry of Health and the National. Uh, primary health care agencies' commitment, uh, commitment to revitalising primary health care centres because this is where signals get picked up. The primary health care centres are often the closest to the community or the immediate source of trusted health care workers for the community. Uh, but linked to that is we recognise that there's a need for um, um, community surveillance and to link that sort of into our other digital health facility and other related um, surveillance and actually, this is now being piloted. Uh, this was um, in existence uh, in a few states f- in, for for looking for uh, para- para- acute onset paralysis as part of polio uh, control measures. But um, the pilot that is ongoing now is to now make that a multi disease scoping um, surveillance system within the community that allows signals to be immediately escalated into the health facility or local government-based some uh, digital surveillance we had to allow more reporting. So uh, if that demonstration project works as well as we do, then again, the aspiration area of growth is to now roll that out at scale because you need that everywhere. And hopefully that will also be facilitated by um, ongoing work to have a uh, functioning primary health care centre close to the people at least in in, in, in every local government. So uh, some of the uh, some of the things we do uh, appear to be stand alone or bespoke, but actually what we should be aspiring to as a country is a resilient health system and starts from primary health care. And then if you've got universal health coverage, it means people don't have any concerns or thoughts about I've got I've got a fever, but they are thinking, oh, it's going to cost me this. But that fever may be the first sign of something, you know. But then they stay at home because cost till they sort of get worse or, or something, or sadly, till somebody dies, and then the next case of course. So by that time, you've lost time time that could have been spent trying to nip uh, an outbreak um, uh, at, at the board when it first started. And now you have to mount a full. Cost outbreak. And that's always more expensive. It's, it's always more expensive.
0: Yeah. Dr. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Pleasure. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you very much. That's our program today. we Would, of course, like to hear from you on the conversation. Our social media handles are right there on your screen. You can also listen to this and previous episodes of the program via our podcast. Please visit our website, channelstv.com. Forward slash podcast to get started. I am Ladi Akiri Dulale. Goodbye. <music>